Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every other week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren, and this is episode 31, where we chat with debut author Katie Rose Poole about her new YA fantasy, There Will Come a Darkness. This book was really awesome, you guys, and I'm really glad I had the chance to pick Katie's brain about it. Um, We start off by kind of going through her publishing journey, how she got to where she's at, and hint, it was a lot of editing. (laughs) Um, But then we dig into the meat of the story, and we talk about the original story themes that she had, and then how they evolved over time with the editing, and that how the editing actually helped shape the story in a different way. And then we talk about how she drops clues for the reader that the characters don't have, which was really fun reading, and I was one of my favorite things about the book. Talk about... Um, having twists at the end of a book versus knowing beforehand and knowing before the characters. There's five points of view in this book. So we talk about what it was like, the challenges of writing five different voices. And then also the secondary characters, which are equally strong and were not in their heads and what that was like bouncing between the two. So it's a really complicated, beautiful book, really lovely. I really enjoyed reading it. It was It was easy to devour. And if you're a fantasy fan... If you like really strongly character-driven books, I would recommend this one. If you like character-driven books, this is a good one for you. We also gush about Avatar The Last Airbender and Korra, which apparently for me comes up every episode in some fashion, though she brought it up, not me this time. How can you not gush about that show? It's so good. And then we go through some really good books. And I... I'm currently coming to you from Cyprus. I've been traveling for about a week. I spent a day in Egypt, which was really cool. And if you go check out my personal or photography Instagram pages, you'll be able to see them. Um, And some pictures from Pyramid and the Sphinx and the market, which was really fun. And now I'm in Cyprus for three weeks, staying at a friend's house and just enjoying the beautiful Mediterranean and, and everything. And it's been really, really nice. So I've been reading a lot and I've been, you know, going out and seeing the island, getting a lot of work done. It's been great. Um, I finally, finally read Jacoby, which my friend Sarah of Novel Novice has recommended to me multiple times. And I have an arc of book one. I just never got to it. So I was like, you know, she really loves this series. And it's kind of like Doctor Who meets Sherlock, supernatural elements with ghosts and mysteries. And it was excellent. I'm already on book two and I really recommended it. Um, But I wanted to kind of say that this is leading me into something I'm really excited to talk about, and that is I finally got a Patreon for this podcast. And I did the math, and it costs me at least $400 per episode to record by the time I count all my time spent editing, recording, contacts, you know, social media posting, promoting, all of that. And it's just a lot of time, even if I do it every other week. So I want to start to, you know, help take some of that burden off And I thought Patreon was finally the way to do it. So I finally got it launched. We have a bunch of really cool options. There's some that are, you know, ad-free episodes. There are some where you can actually, um, you know, I'll give you a shout out. I'll send you postcards. And then kind of what I was just referencing with when I was talking about Jacoby, something I've wanted to start for a while is um, a YouTube show called Procrastinated Reads. So basically, it's something that I think all readers are familiar with. We have a backlist. And it's the never-ending list of books that we should read, want to read, all of that. And so I've wanted to, you know, visit books that have been out for a while and review them and talk about what I loved about them and, like, 
get community engagement being like, is that what you loved? Tell me the things that you enjoyed or what you didn't enjoy. And um, I wanted to offer that in one of the tiers. It's to let people help me decide which books to read next. So it'll be kind of an interactive thing for me. I'm going to list a few books that I'm interested in that I haven't read, and then I can, you know, get people involved in it. So that's just one of the things. I'm also doing my highest tier. I am going to do surprise kind of like quarterly book boxes. I have so many random advanced copies and random swag that I've gotten over the years. And and I was just like, you know, this is a really fun way to get these things out into the hands of other fans of books and reading. And, um, you know, it gives you guys a chance to support this podcast and let me continue interviewing these authors that we love. So please check out the Patreon. It is Ink Feather Books. It is, there's a link underneath this, there will be forever. And, you know, my goal, like I said, is to just be able to continue bringing you this good content. And I have so many good authors lined up. I actually, um, I am going to be recording with Garth Nix this upcoming week, who, if you're familiar, he wrote the Abortion Trilogy. Sabrielle is the first book in that. And it's a really famous fantasy series, which if you have not read it, I highly recommend it. And I highly recommend it on audio because Tim Curry did the narration and holy crap, it's so good. But he's got a new series coming out. Um, the first book's called Angel Mage. So it's kind of like Three Musketeers, but with angelic magic. It's very cool. I'm reading it right now. He's coming up. I have an episode with Lee Bardugo on her new book, Ninth House, that's coming out next month. That episode will be going up in a couple of weeks. I also have an episode with Susan Dennard, which will also be a video on YouTube. Um, there's so many good things coming up. And there's a lot of other authors that I'm talking to this fall. I don't want to name names until I've locked people down yet, but um, there are some other really amazing people. So I, you know, this is the stuff that I want to bring to you guys. I know that I'm not the only one out there who loves picking the brains of these people and hearing what they have to say about their books and how these books came to be and their creative process and their storytelling ideas and all of that. So um, please support the Patreon. It would just mean the absolute world to me. And I, you know, would appreciate it so much if you would check that out and consider donating. Okay. So now back to the interview with Katie. I really hope you enjoy it. It was a really fun chat. And like I said, we dig a lot into her writing of this book, which, you know, was an interesting read. I don't read a lot of YA that was written like this. It's five points of view. You're in the heads of these characters. You get clues early on instead of just the big switch reveal at the end. And it was just such a fun book to read. So, all right, enjoy the interview. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you. I uh, I was just saying to Katie right before we started recording that I have been so excited to read this book. I had like serious arc envy this spring earlier when books were starting to hit out in the world and I didn't have one and I wanted to talk to her and I wanted to get one and read it because I heard so many cool things about this book. And luckily I was able to snag her for the podcast and get a copy to read so we could talk about it. So this has like been so much fun for me because I knew I was going to love this book and I wasn't wrong. Um, so this is your debut book. Yes. And it is called There Will Come a Darkness. And it has the coolest cover. Even the arc has like red foil on it. And it's like really stylized and beautiful. And you have like your five main characters across the top. It's very cool. Um, for those who maybe haven't read the book or haven't heard of the book and are listening to this, what's like your little elevator pitch for the story? Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So There Will Come a Darkness takes place in a world in which there were these prophets who um, made all of these predictions that sort of helped guide the world, ended wars, created cities, that sort of a thing. Um, so the book takes place 100 years after those prophets have disappeared. And they've left behind one final prophecy that's a secret for most of the world um, that predicts an age of darkness. And the book is about the five characters who are sort of involved in that prophecy and then figuring out whether they're going to stop the age of darkness or start it. Yeah. And it's kind of an ambiguous idea because there's like the choices that they make seem like as at least in the characters' minds are on a knife edge. Like if you do this, it's it's going to plummet us worse. Or like there's some uh, side characters who have strong visions on whether or not things are good or evil and, and how they proceed with that. So yeah, there's a lot at stake with these characters. I actually... I kind of wanted to talk to you. Oh, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. But like, before we dig into the book itself, walk us through your publishing journey. Like, what? Sure. How, how did you get to where you're at right now? Like, you know. Um, well, this will be fun because I've actually never really talked about this super publicly. Mm. Um, and it's kind of a long, it's not a long story, but it, in years, is a long story. People um, love this stuff, though. I mean, this is, you, people want to <laughs> oh, know, sure. you know, like, how did you get here? I remember before I had sold this book, like just like really like eating up all these stories of mm-hmm. different people's, like how I got my agent, how I got my editor, like all of that kind of a thing. So I totally get it. So I wrote this book um, at the very end of my college career. It was kind of like the last semester of my senior year. And that summer I finished the first draft. I'd actually entered it in a contest. I did not end up winning that contest, but the contest did drive me to finish the book, which I had never actually done before. I'd never oh. finished a book that I, you know, felt like I wanted to keep working on. So I edited the book for about a year or like eight months, maybe started querying. Didn't have a lot of luck querying. Actually, this book, I queried it as an adult book, not a YA book. Mm. This was back in 2015. And I feel like that was before the sort of advent of these, you know, bigger multiple points of view YA fantasy books. A lot of fantasy books at that point were sort of first person focused on one main character Um, And so I felt like my book didn't really fit into the YA genre at that time. And then at the tail end of 2015, I finally, I actually didn't sign with my agent at that point. She offered me an R&R, but it was essentially like signing because the way that my agency works, there's no actual contract that you sign at the moment that you decide to work together. And we were like in constant contact. She like put me in contact with her clients to talk to them about, you know, their experiences with her Um, So that was great. We started editing the book together. And this Mm. process actually took, I think, I tried to do the math on this. It was like two years, two and a half years, I think we edited it together. Wow. Before you even sent it out to submissions. Yeah. So it was a long time. She was the one who was like, I think this book should be YA, which honestly, I didn't have to do a lot of edits to make it YA. It was already kind of there. And then she had an assistant, um, Hillary Jacobson, and her assistant was starting to take on her own clients. And they were taking on clients together. Um, And so they basically asked me, like, how would you feel about Hillary officially joining the team and being, like, co-agent with me? Which I loved that idea because I loved Hillary. She had, like, written a lot of the notes for me and, like, had read my manuscript multiple times and was the one who, of course, like, found it in the slush pile because it's, like, usually the agent's assistant. Yeah, totally. Well, and you've got two cheerleaders instead of one. I mean, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. Honestly, a perfect situation because there's really pros and cons to having a more experienced agent and a newer agent. More experienced agents obviously have more connections, more experience, et cetera. 
newer agents are just hungrier. They're like more excited mm -hmm. to work with you and be super hands-on and excited to get those deals. So having both of them was honestly just like the best situation. I was like, wow. Oh, that's really great. Out. So that sort of happened over the course of the two years, two and a half years that we were editing. And I honestly don't know what to attribute like the amount of time that that took. <laughs> like it's very unusual, I think, for someone to edit with their agent for that long, I feel. Yeah. Like a year, maybe at most. Um, all I can really say is like, obviously, like there were a lot of really awesome ideas that I had in the original draft, but I hadn't quite figured out like how to put them all together. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that my agents were willing to work with me on that, and it was really like a big undertaking. Yeah. Just is a kind of a testament to like, you know, their belief in me and like their excitement. Absolutely. The yeah. So I sort of, I, yeah, it was definitely difficult at the time to be working on it for that long. And like, I have a lot of writer friends and they were getting agents, they were selling their books. And I was of course so excited for them, but then I was like, just still here, like editing my book forever. <laughs> um, so that was certainly difficult, but I think I was able to take the perspective of like, you know what, this is like a good thing and it's going to work out and it's going to pay off. And it really did. Yeah. When we went on submission, it was like completely a 180 from what my querying experience had been. Um, we had a lot of interest. Um, a lot of like my favorite publishers and imprints were, you know, I was talking to them and we ended up selling to Macmillan and like, honestly, could not be happier with where that book ended up and like how that went. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it was like one of those things where it was like, this is like, I've never felt this vindicated in my life. Like <laughs> I put like so much into this book and then it like actually paid off. Like, wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause when you were saying about the multiple points of view, I mean, that is such an interesting thing to read in general, because even you said it wasn't as big in YA back then, it's still not as common in general. Like I feel like yeah. you get maybe three at most, like one to two is usually where you're at. And this is five and it's very clearly distinct voices and so it's like I, I you know that's already sets it apart so I could see you kind of being like okay we need to really make this as good as it can be and and roll with that and and flesh that out so when you were in in the college age and through this editing process what was the core story that was like the one you really wanted to make sure came through that's a really good question actually I think Honestly, the process of editing it was discovering that story mm. um, because I had sort of had all of the individual characters arcs. Um, I knew, you know, how they would meet one another and how their paths would cross and how okay. they would be, you know, at certain points on different sides of conflicts um, and their own individual, you know, fears, things that they're running from, things that they want. And I think fitting those things all together was really what that editing process was about. And it was gotcha. figuring out how all of these stories, which are all like similar thematically fit together on like a plot level. So it really came down to like this prophecy. Um, and there was a prophecy in the original draft. It was very different. It did not include all the characters. And so mm. editing it, I was like, oh, wait, this prophecy is really this age of darkness. This is how all of the characters are connected, which is like kind of an obvious idea. <laughs> but I think it just like took a little while for me to like act yeah. together. Well, and, and seeing it come together in the sense of like, when you read it pretty early on, your um the, that, that hidden final prophecy is revealed to us, the reader, and there are like these three 
doom signs. They're called harbingers. That's right. I couldn't remember the word. I was like, yeah. <laughs> the harbingers of doom, basically. And the they're, the second and third ones are people. And they're two of your main characters. And it's like how that ties in and then how they understand that knowledge as they grow with it and how the other characters, when they realize what that means and how they interpret it, it was really interesting reading to kind of see how that played out, which I really, really liked. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think one of my favorite things that I've enjoyed about this book, and I think I, I DM'd you this early on, I feel like, or I commented about this on, was like, there were emotional things, stakes or things that I felt like emotionally not plot-wise, but necessarily, like, emotionally, I was like, oh, this feels like this could have been a zinger surprise at the end, like, oh, what? And, but they were, like, revealed early on, and then I had to be like, okay, how is this? I know something, and this shit's going to get crazy, and they are all going to, how is this going to pan out? Like, I know this now, when are they going to know it, and when they know, what does that mean? And it was really cool to kind of see it. It's one of my favorite things about like, I was just flipping the pages because I wanted to see how things were going to happen with that. I love that you said that. That's something that I think about a lot. And something that I talk about a lot too, is like, I feel like people are super focused. Like readers are super focused a lot on like twists and stories and like being surprised by twists. Yeah. And my favorite experience as a reader is when I figure something out in a book and the character doesn't know it yet. Yes. And I'm like waiting for them to know it. So I'm like, oh shit, like this is what this really is. And the character is like, just like, you're like waiting for that like thing to fall. It's like, yep. Yep. <laughs> so... 100% happened really early on. There was the one in particular, it connects one of the main characters with one of the side characters is also connected to another main character. And I don't want to give names because I don't want to ruin that, <laughs> but you know who I'm talking about. And I was like, who yeah. that's that person and what's going to happen. And then when that happens, I'm like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. That went way worse than I expected. <laughs> like it was just, yeah. And it should work on both levels where it's like, if you're a reader who like doesn't figure those things out, like that's still fun. Yeah. But like, if you do, then like you have that sense of like impending doom. So I'm really glad that you said that. <laughs> and again, you kind of captured it well that, I feel like a lot of readers love the twist and, and I do too. I mean, that's a nice thing to when it's, when it's well done and it fits in like all these pieces slot into place at the end and you go, Oh, okay. Now that makes sense. That's wonderful. But this has been, I feel like, again, kind of like the multiple points of view, this is not as common right now, or I haven't read it as much recently. So for me, it was like a refreshing, like <laughs> I know all the things and they're so screwed and what's going to happen and how is this going to work was, is really fun reading. So I have, yeah thoroughly enjoyed reading this book yeah and I think it also does like the multiple points of view really does play into that because you're seeing so much more of like yes. the game board essentially than each individual character is so it's really easy to set up those moments because I have all of these different avenues to like mm. introduce things and then bring them back somewhere else absolutely well and I wanted to ask you was it hard writing those five points of view because five is a lot um I'm trying to think of other books like the only example I can think that comes to my mind immediately which isn't necessarily even on the same like plane because it's a different it's not even YA is Game of Thrones it's told from multiple points of view <laughs> but like yours the story literally there's an action and the chapter ends from one point of view and then picks up from another point of view and it's the same scene and the same two characters, but now we're in the other person's head. And I love that because it's like, now we're getting to see things, you know, kind of understand what they're going through, but it's not like, you know, 
and seen, and now we're over here. I mean, and that does happen because obviously people are in different places at right. different times, but I'm liking that that isn't the case every time. And it's really interesting when they're, you know, multiple characters are together, especially there's like, sometimes there's three of them where it's like one, two, three, back and forth, changing points of view. Was that hard to write? Was that, or did you just already know like the scenes? Cause I'm imagining just figuring out like who's had to be and when and how to plant those things. I could see, I mm-hmm. feel like that would be a challenge. It definitely was a challenge. I, do like that you brought up Game of Thrones. That was definitely a huge influence. Like reading that book just kind of blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, I honestly read it too young. I was like 13. Oh like, God. Like 13. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap. I read it as an adult and it's still, I mean, was like, what happened at the end of that book? Yeah. So. <laughs> but that book and other multiple points of view book, like it just blew my mind. I was like, oh man. So that was something I really always yes. wanted to do. Like that was like top of my list. And for some reason I decided that like, writing my first book with multiple points of view was like the way to go. Um, It was definitely a challenge though. I mean, I felt like as I revised things, I think it wasn't so hard in terms of like what scene happens in which character's point of view. Like there were a few times when I had to sort of like figure that out. And my sort of guiding principle was like, who has either the most to lose in this scene or Mm -hmm. like, what is the scene actually about? And which character is going to like have the most feelings about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was sort of helpful, but definitely I think in revisions, like having five points of view, it makes everything more difficult to like the power of five. Like it's every single detail that gets threaded into the book now has to be like figured out in like all of these different storylines. And so a lot of the editing that I did was world building. And that in particular was like just such a headache figuring out which of these characters is going to like show us this part of the world and like introduce this concept without like weighing down the narrative and like making sure it was consistent across all of them and like each of them has their own like opinion about things so it was definitely really difficult and I definitely like think that was part of the reason why it took me so long to edit well and I mean because I could see that like you said being it's very fussy because again to do it justice to do it well it does it shouldn't be always blatantly obvious but it needs to be like you said there's certain things that need to be present in on all of the different angles and it, it's interesting because you were saying you know the five main characters are the ones who are all connected to this prophecy in some way and it's interesting to see them interacting with each other those who don't interact with each other how that works and how we see the prophecy kind of from those different sides mm-hmm. so I could see that having been a an interesting writing challenge yeah totally makes sense so uh, I wanted to kind of talk about the magic system. Um, I was kind of like, at first I was like elemental magic and my, my gut reaction because it has like all these things that are happening. But then I really sat down and dissected it and they all were really like a version of spirit. Yeah. Um, the grace of mind where they can like mm-hmm. put the magical power into items and make like magical clocks and magical things. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, that maybe that's like earth magic. But then I was like, when I actually thought, I was like, no, it's all spirit magic it's all like this essence of soul that is interpreted in in these different ways talk to me about developing that because it's very cool to be honest like the magic system was something that was in place from the very beginning of this book in its earliest form and so I can't quite like figure out like how I put it together but definitely that idea like the central concept in the book it's called Esha Mm -hmm. that idea of like some magical spiritual essence that permeates the world and so these people who have they call they're called graces in the book are able to manipulate them in different ways Mm -hmm. and there's backstory to this that's like not in the book 
so I definitely like thought a lot about the magic system and like how it all worked because it's not something that's kind of simple and intuitive, like elemental magic. Yeah. Like these abilities are kind of, they don't at first glance seem to like be super related. Like someone's like a healer or someone's like you said, like has the grace of mind. There's the grace of heart, which basically just like enhances your like senses and strength and agility and all of that. And so at first glance, they're all kind of like just these disparate abilities um, and there's only four of them in the world. So there's not like an unlimited amount, like yeah. we're like an X or like, you know, Red Queen or something. Yeah. Um, so it was like kind of like figuring out how all of these things can be part of the same magic system. Um, and that was a challenge. It was also fun. I remember like specifically going to this bar in downtown Berkeley with my sister. Like it's like a nice bar, like real fancy and just talking about this magic system for like two hours at this bar. And like, that was really how I figured it out. Well, talking it out, talking at someone sometimes just helps your brain go. Yeah. It's funny because when I sat down before this interview to talk about the, the way they were, I was like, it really is all spirit. It is all different interpretations of that Esha. And then it's also like, you know, one of our main characters has like this, unknown slash almost mirror image or opposite ability of the most common version of that Esha. So it's interesting to see how there are other ways it could be interpreted that maybe aren't even aren't as common, or maybe they were common, but we don't know, or like it, just the ways it could manifest in people. So yeah, it's right. very, very cool. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying the interview with Katie. I I'm enjoying bringing it to you guys. And again, I just want to remind you about the Patreon that I just launched, which will allow me to continue to bring amazing content like this to you guys on a bi-weekly basis. Every other week, I have a new podcast scheduled. I've got amazing authors lined up in the near future like Lee Bardugo, Garth Nix, Susan Dennard. Those are the next three coming up. So we've got some amazing authors and content, and I want to be able to continue to do this. So please check out the Patreon. It's as simple as one dollar per episode you can sponsor and that will just help me keep it running and keep it going so um, please check it out and if you are supporting me I cannot thank you enough Um, hopefully I can continue to do this so all right I just wanted to put that in here before we continue on so now back to the interview Elemental magic is my favorite kind of magic just because it's it's so common, but it's also really fun when, especially with newer books, when they come out to see how it's being presented, how it's being interpreted, mm-hmm. that feels fresh. Yeah, there's always slightly different takes yeah. on it. Like, for instance, I love Avatar The Last Airbender, and that's elemental magic, but they, like, really go in depth with it, and they're really, like, digging into, like, how these things work and, like, the really like random specific things you could do like blood bending for instance as an interpretation of like rolling water i mean holy crap have you seen cora hell yeah <laughs> um by the way this book gives me very cora season one vibes and in like the best way possible <laughs> that yeah yeah <laughs> i i was like huh similar villains for sure yeah, yeah it has a similar but like same thing within that like the lava bending oh, I, I, yes. I lost my shit when oh, that happened <laughs> i actually just rewatched cora i got so excited my I just rewatched that season and I was like waiting for that moment. I was like, Bolin, you can do it. Oh my gosh. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, I haven't seen them since they first came out. And I just remember I really liked season one. Season two was okay. Season three was awesome. And season four was so good. Yeah. Like the end when she loses her mind and goes like batshit is like the best. So good. good. Oh my gosh. Kind of garbage though. Like, 
<laughs> I know. It's very weird. But, I mean, I do like the backstory. I will say that. I do like how we get, like, origin story yeah, stuff, cool. which is very cool. And stuff like that, too. I'm sorry. We're getting so off track. Uh, I talk about Avatar pretty much every episode. Like, Everybody you know, loves that shit. But I love stuff like that, too, where you, like, are really familiar with this magic system. Um, and this may or may not be a hint as to like what happens in my books, but like when you're really familiar with the magic system and sort of like stuff about the world and then you like really like go into and like find out all of this stuff about like how it came to be Mm. and like what the world was like before this. Like I love stuff like that. Well, and you even talk about that in, well, this isn't quite the same thing and we're not going to necessarily talk about specifically like beforehand, but you talk about one of the big discussion points in this and why the villain is so scary is he wants to destroy all of the people who are graced so he wants to get rid of anyone who has any sort of magical ability and they talk about they're like you know when the prophets disappeared a hundred years ago like madness ensued in a lot of ways the cities because people weren't sure how to handle because they were used to prophets predicting the future and then they didn't have that so there then there's a discussion of like imagine if everybody was gone and then you you talked about all of these things in this world that are magic based that, you know, like in our world, obviously we don't have magic sadly, but like, you know, like the healers would be gone and the, and the people who ran like basically technology would be gone, like trains and things like that. Like all of that, all of the systems would shut down right? and about how the importance of that magic in that world. And it was, it's interesting to think of like what you're saying, like before it came to be and how the world has shifted too. So that's very interesting, but yeah, totally was like, Oh, this kind of feels like, the Korra villain in a good, like the best way possible. I was like, I'm getting like this creepy dude vibe. Yeah. What's so funny is like, I had written that before I watched Korra, like the villain. And I, as I was watching it, I was like, Oh man, like this is like exactly what I'm trying to do. Um, so that was really like fun. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah. But again, feels, feels fresh, feels unique. Like I wonder if she's an Avatar and Korra fan. And I wasn't oh, yeah. even necessarily going to bring it up. Cause I always bring it up like every episode. And I always <laughs> talk about Korra and Avatar cause it's the best series ever. And like Zuko's the man forever. Oh. But you brought it up first, so it was fair game. <laughs> <laughs> I totally got you off track, though. You were talking about magic systems, I think. But yeah, just how I, I feel like I haven't read a book. I mean, I'm, maybe I must have been some, somewhere ever, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head where it's only spirit-based like this. I mean, I guess maybe the one that's coming to head is more like maybe steampunky stuff that have to deal with, like, ether, but which is kind of the same idea of, like, that whole, like, people tapping into then make technology with that... Mm-hmm. ether element but yeah yeah there's something like this essence of soul or essence of that that I love that that's how your magic is kind of interpreted in this world which makes it very cool yeah thanks so your characters you have five main characters but you have really amazing and strong and important secondary characters that are as prevalent in some ways as the main characters. And that's really interesting to me how you chose whose heads to be inside of, especially when we have some, Mm -hmm. you know, important point of views from other characters that we just don't get to see. Was that a hard choice to kind of stick to the five mains? Sort of. Um, So originally when I was like first drafting this book, I only had four point of view characters and that would be Ephira, Anton, Jude, and Hassan. And then about midway through my draft, I was like, I need Beru's point of view, Beru being Afira's younger sister. Um, And at that point, I was like, okay, like, I really need her point of view. And she became a lot more important 
um, than I had initially thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd always loved the relationship between the two sisters. And that was always very like central to the book. But at that moment, I was like, okay, like there's five now. (laughs) Um, So in that sense, like, yes, like I did end up adding a point of view very early on in the process. And then as for the other characters, like, One of my favorite things is actually being able to develop a character without being there in their point of view. Mm. Like, I think that's difficult (laughs) for sure. Um, It's definitely a challenge. I agree. But it was like one that I was really excited about because I love writing characters. I love figuring out different ways to sort of like show who these characters are and like how. Yeah. And so doing that with particularly with Kepri, I think I'm thinking of and and Hector. Yep. Those are the Um, two that popped in my head too. It's basically. The first one she mentioned is like a, a a warrior female who kind of is friends with the prince and they kind of have the journey together in some ways. And then Hector is uh, the one character, Jude's like best friend and part of his guard. And he, you know, he has some, he makes some interesting choices and, you know, we have to try to understand him without being in his head. And And I don't think it's hard because of what he's going through it's a very common emotion and it, you know, is manifested in a way that is, even though it might be, I'm trying not to spoil here. It might be ways that are, that are not great all the time. He, um, you know, it's, it's still kind of understandable in some ways. So it was just interesting to see these people who, you know, cause when you see five points of view, you think like, these are the five important characters, but not really like, and it's, and there's other secondary characters that have interesting presence, but these, those two specifically are like mm-hmm. very present and important. So I just found it really interesting that they were, that you're saying you're like interpreting them without being in their head, which I think did a good job. I mean, I definitely get a feel for who both yep. of them are. So <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And they also sort of work as like foils to the main characters whose, you know, points of view that they're most prevalent in. So that was also like a useful tool for Agreed. that. Agreed. It, it's because, you know, I I wrote my sentence here as very long. I like didn't know other words to go. I was like, each character has interesting stakes. We ha- They have depth, dimension, stakes, secrets, ulterior motives. Like each of them has like something complicated it's I mean obviously they're humans and they're people so they would but you know you're right having these side characters to kind of feed that bounce against that challenge them um yeah is a really good read and again it's fun it's fun not being in those characters heads because sometimes we're like where are they what are they doing what are they thinking and then you have to kind of interpret as the characters interpret too so um are you working on another book right now what are what are you working on right now I'm working on the sequel to There Will Come a Darkness, okay. which does not have a title at this moment. Okay. Um, so I'm sure I will have to title it soon. So I have written the first draft of that, and I'm about to turn in my second draft. Excellent. And do you feel like it's going where you want it to be going? It is. I think it was a much stronger first draft than the very first draft of There Will Come Darkness. So ideally, I will not spend two and a half years editing it. <laughs> Hopefully not. For your sanity, maybe. <laughs> I have deadlines now, so... Um, So yeah, so I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm super excited to have readers find out like what happens to all these characters. Obviously, the first book is not even out yet. So it'll be a little bit of a wait. But um, yeah, no, it'll be um, and when we release this episode, the book, um, it's like, right, the book just came out like release week. So but yeah, yeah, but still, it's it's I was saying to her before we started recording that I always love talking to authors like uh, like right before their books come out because their heads are always like 
like they're always like, I don't know what's happening. And people are going to love it. Like they're excited, but then they're scared, but then they have so much cool things to say. And I always like it too, because it's like, oh, this is the first time I've really been able to talk about this stuff. That's the thing. You're able to actually go a little deeper than just the little teasers and things that you can share. So, um, which is why it's great. So Usually before we go, I like to um, always pick authors' brains on books they've read. Of course. I saw you commented on Instagram on my red, white, and royal blue comment, which I talked about in my intro for my most recent episode that came out on the podcast because I just freaking loved that book so much. Oh, It's actually on my desk right now. Oh, my God. It's, like, literally, like, right here. It's so good. And I told a friend of mine who uh, – and he's, like – texted me it was 5 a.m my time because he's on the west coast and i'm on the east coast he's like yeah i stayed up till 2 a.m finishing that book oh my gosh i was like i knew you'd love it like i told him i knew he would love it it's so good but have you read anything else or um i mean this is a sci-fi fantasy podcast but obviously our readers read across the board so anything you think that is worth sharing let's hear it of course yeah um so I had like a month or so off of editing last or earlier this summer, which nice. was awesome because I got to read like all of the books that I'm so excited about. Uh, one book that I read recently that I loved is Red Skies Falling, which is the sequel to Black <gasps> Wings, yes. um, which is a fantasy book. Um, it's super queer. It's by Alex London. The first book I loved, it was just like the characters. I was like, I love you so much. I just want to like Aww. hold you and like make everything okay. Um, the second book, even better. I was like, I couldn't put it down. Um, and it's like a pretty long book. So that one definitely, um, that comes out September 3rd too, actually. So it probably just perfect. (laughs) So yeah, get them both red skies falling and there will come a darkness. They look great together. I was like, the covers are both red and black. So, (laughs) um, so definitely that, um, I also recently read, you mentioned earlier in the episode, Victoria Lee's The Fever King, yes. um, which I read earlier this year, and I actually got to read her sequel like a couple weeks ago, and it was so good. Like, I loved The Fever King, and the sequel is, like, somehow, like, wow. better. Like, it's so good. Um, and it's also, it's a duology, so that was the final book in the series. Ooh, so, so you like felt that. really good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These characters, I don't want to leave them. And then I also recently read The Grace Year by Kim Liggett, which is a sort of fantasy, but there's not really any magic. It's more of a dystopian type of book, which I feel like we don't see a ton of dystopian anymore. But this one is like a very specifically feminist dystopian Mm. book. And I really loved it. The writing was very beautiful. The story was just like, couldn't again like couldn't put it down and it was like a much more sort of like introspective story so I think that's really a credit to her um that she's able to make it so page turnery and it's like not super action-packed so Mm. I loved that book and then I also just read and I'm so behind on this so like everyone's already gonna know this book but I just read The Cruel Prince and the Wicked King oh I have yet to read those I'm taking those on vacation with me next week I know you think you're late to the party I'm really late to the party I know I I read The Cruel Prince I think on a plane I was like at my friend's place in Chicago and I had to fly home and I was like hey do you have any books that you could like lend me because I like read the one that I brought on the plane I don't know why I only brought one book I was like there for a weekend (laughs) and so she lent me The Cruel Prince and I like read it just all on the plane the next day I went to work and I was like I have to go to the library to get The Wicked King right now (laughs) so I did that read it immediately made my sister read them both she made her husband read them both and now we're all just like waiting for the queen of nothing to come out oh man holly never disappoints man um 
The Coldest Girl in Cold Town is still one of my favorite vampire books ever. Like, it's just so freaking good. She's. I still haven't read that one, and I've really been meaning to. You, like, it's, it's, you should, because it's a standalone, and it's not massive, yeah. massive, and it's yeah. got what I think is one of the sexiest kisses in, in YA. I really do. I think it's, like, super hot. But so I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's really good. But it's a great, it's a really good story. But, yeah, she, again, Holly never disappoints. She's amazing. So... I yeah, I'm definitely taking those to to my on my trip with me because I'm like I haven't read them yet and I feel like a failure in the in the in the book because everyone's losing their minds about them. That's how I felt even about Red, White, and Royal Blue because even though that only came out a couple months ago, I'm still like oh. And then finally I got it from the library and I was like yeah, I guess I'll do it. And I did the audio and I was like I'm an idiot. Why did I wait so long? And I know I'm gonna probably be saying that about Holly's books too. So I I got that book when it came out and I was like Red, White, and Royal Blue. I mean, and I was like I need to not read this until I turn in my draft this is when I was writing the first draft of the second book and I was like I'm gonna wait <laughs> then I did not I was like I started it and then I was like okay this is what I'm doing today I guess oh my gosh so. I'll tell you what doing it on audio hearing the narrator have to interpret their the characters voices <laughs> oh my gosh the text the emails the <laughs> the conversation uh there's a scene there's a scene for those of you who haven't read it. There's a scene about halfway through the book where there's like a group of them and they're all doing karaoke. And there's like basically the one, the prince's best friend has, has a thing for the first son's sister, but she's kind of like, no, I'm not interested. And then he does karaoke. And literally the line is like, Oh my God, he's so hot. I just want to put my fingers in his mouth. And I was like, who says that? And they have this dude narrator go, Oh my God. I, I laughed so hard. I mean, I laughed a lot throughout that book like cackly kind of laughter yeah, it, it was like gleeful like <laughs> la- yeah just like especially because they're very like swear they're like man what is your effing problem what 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 the heck man what's what's i mean they don't say that they actually say fuck so they're like <laughs> i don't know why i censored myself on my own podcast I like, when i don't i can curse on this i podcast. know i don't know why i just did that so but they're like what is your sh-? or like this is my shit like just stupid phrases that are hilarious in that book but yes it's it's so good and I really don't read contemporary very often if I do it's the occasional romance and I'm so glad I read it yeah so I know we're both like this book's amazing I actually was like I wish the podcast I might I I don't want to break my podcast rules because 99% of what I read is non-contemporary but I was like I really would love to talk with her because it's such a great book you should and then I will listen to that episode and I will be like yes amazing I know I don't I mean I know it would get listens I might be like okay you're the exception to the rule but it's so good um, <laughs> man those are a lot of great recommendations that's like, it's awesome that you actually got some time to really just sink in and read and enjoy yeah. it was so like necessary like you know I think a lot of writers talk about like refilling the well 100% and uh, after I really don't like drafting I'm not a first draft like that's not where I shine. Um, so after writing the first draft of the second book, I was just like so burnt out. I was like, I need a break. And so, yeah, reading all that stuff was just like amazing. And I came back to my revisions, like super excited. So yeah, I loved all of the books that I read during that break, which like, honestly, is kind of amazing. Cause like every once in a while you read a book that's just not for you, but like I, all of them, back I was just back, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's something I talk about a lot, even just as creatives in general anybody who's creative it's like you have to find that balance between work and play or you're literally that's the phrasing I use is the well will run dry you have to refill it and um deadlines aside it's like you're not going to give your best work if you've got nothing to give so it's great that you were able to to fill that back up especially when you're writing you know book two so 
Awesome, Katie. This was great. Thank you so much for talking with me. Um, guys, definitely make sure you get There Will Come a Darkness. It's such a great read. If you are a fantasy fan, you will love it. If you're a character-driven book fan, you will love it. The, all of the elements, like I said, I, I've been flying through this book, and I it's been such a delightful, surprising read, and I, I just cannot recommend it enough. So, um, And tune in in two more weeks. We'll have a new episode going live. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.